Exodus 35 and verse 4. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, This is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver and bronze, blue, purple and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, and hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. And then verse 10 talks about the skills that they were to give where they were found among them. All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. And then we move through to verse 20. The whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved him came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service and for the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewellery of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Everyone who had blue, purple or scarlet yarn or fine linen or goat hair, ram skins dyed red or hides of sea cows brought them. Those presenting an offering of silver or bronze brought as an offering to the Lord. And everyone who had acacia wood for any part of the work brought it. Every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun, blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen. And all the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat hair. The leaders brought onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. They also brought spices and olive oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See the Lord has chosen Bezalel's son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled them with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability and knowledge in all kinds of crafts, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver and bronze, to cut and set stones, uh, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic craftsmanship. And he has given both him and Aholiab, son of Ahishamach, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as craftsmen, designers, embroiders in blue, purple and scarlet yarn, and fine linen and weavers, all of them master craftsmen and designers. So Bezalel, uh, Aholiab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary, or to do the work just as the Lord had commanded, 
Then Moses summoned Bethlehem and Aholiab and every skilled person to him, uh, to whom the Lord had given ability, and who was willing to come and do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled craftsmen who were doing all the work in the sanctuary left their work and said to Moses, The people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order, and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more, because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. And then we turn in the second half of our Bibles to Second Corinthians chapter 8, page 1162, in the Bible provided by the church. And we read now of Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and he's speaking in these opening verses about the churches in Macedonia. And uh, we want to read what he has to say. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1, page 1162. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Amen. Let us turn then in our Bibles uh, to Second Corinthians and chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, page 1162 and 1163 in the Church Bible. In a few weeks' time, it will be 12 years since the work of planting a church formerly began in Carnac Fergus, and I became your pastor. Uh, over the 12 years, I have not preached on the subject of financial giving to the work here or to the wider work of the Church of Christ. And over the next uh, number of weeks, beginning this morning, I intend to do that 
in a series of four messages. Not because I think anything is necessarily wrong or something has slipped our attention. It is simply this is an appropriate occasion to do so. Next week we will have our annual general meeting and our church finances will be an integral part of what is presented to that meeting. That's one reason for preaching on the subject at this stage. But then also uh, we finished for the time being our series in Jeremiah and I'm going to be embarking on a further series in Acts taking up where we reached a number of years ago. But then another reason is that we have taken on increased financial commitments as a church over the years. Twelve years ago it was a, we took on the responsibility partially for the salary uh, that I receive. We took on responsibility for hiring a building and other things, all of which are part of the witness here. And then we took on the repayment of the manse at 54 Craig's Road. A couple of years ago, we felt as elders and deacons, it was time for us to begin to contribute to denominational um, ministry and witness. And so we make a fraction of a donation that we should be giving to the work of mission and the work of the general committees of synod. And then we have, over the years, developed a missionary interest in six different missionary societies. And in any given year, our church gives to five of those. And we add to that the purchase and the renovation of 48 North Road. And we have all of these commitments. Our church consists of approximately 35 people, including our covenant children. There are no millionaires sitting before me this morning. And so we're not uh, a, a very richly endowed congregation. If this morning we were to present all our outgoings to one of those credit organizations like Expedia and they were to do a credit worthiness check upon us, they would not give us anything. Any business person looking at our financial commitments and the resources we have would say the project is doomed to failure. It is not viable. It is not sustainable. Lend nothing. Give nothing to those people. But that's only looking at things as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes under the sun. It leaves out the God of heaven. The one who's made all things the one who is redeeming all things in Christ, 
The one who's ordering all things by his providence. And we believe that this is God's work. We believe that in his great grace we are God's people. We believe that all that we have belongs to the Lord. And all the resources of the earth are his. And so, as Jesus said in Matthew 19 verse 26, we believe with God all things are possible. This morning as we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we want to look at verses 1 to 7. And the title of our study this morning is The Grace of Christian Giving. The Grace of Christian Giving. We're looking at verses 1 to 7. And um, we want to think about giving to the Lord's work as a Christian grace. That's the one point we want to learn this morning. There's only one point to this sermon. Giving to the Lord's work is a Christian grace. Summed up in verse 7. At the end of the verse, see that you abound in this grace also. Or see that you also excel in this grace. If I were to ask you, or indeed let me ask you, which grace do you want to grow in most? Over the next year. 2016. What would you answer? Or if I was to put it another way. What grace do you feel most in need of? In 2016. At this stage of your Christian profession and living. What would you answer? Now, some of you probably would answer, I need the grace of patience. Patience. Patience with my children, perhaps. As I seek to train them for Christ. And show them Christ. Perhaps someone would say, I need the grace of love. Because there's someone that I'm working with and they test me to the limit. And I need to learn, I need to be able to love my enemy. Perhaps someone would say, I need the grace of peace. Because life is very challenging at this moment in time and I find it hard to be at peace, to rest in the Lord. That he's over all things and that he is working all things together for my good. 
and according to its purpose. Perhaps someone would say, I need the grace of steadfastness. Because temperamentally, I tend to be one of those people who goes at things with great gusto the first day or the first few days. But I'm like those people on Monday of last week who had blue Monday because they'd broken all their resolutions and they weren't able to, uh, to do the things that they'd taken on to do. Well, that's me. I'm not very good at enduring, at being steadfast, at just keeping plodding on day in, day out and fulfilling the things that I set myself to do. Steadfastness even in my walk with Christ. My prayer life, my Bible reading, it's in fits and starts. Perhaps someone might say, I need the grace of boldness. I want to become like Peter and John when they were before the Sanhedrin and they were on trial for the gospel and they were being mocked for Christ and that's uh, and they showed and they were given this great boldness to suffer for Christ. That's what I need. And those would all be good answers. But here's the question. Has any of us said that in 2016, I want to grow in the grace of giving? I want to grow in the grace of financial giving to the Lord's work. Do we even think of Christian giving as a grace? I have to confess, until I started working on this passage this week, I never saw my giving to the Lord's work as a Christian grace. But it is. And the thing about Christian graces is, like salvation itself, which is the summary of grace, and it's the same word grace and gift uh, that Paul uses here, it begins small. Isn't that right? When you were a Christian in your early days, your faith was small. It was weak. Jesus says, it doesn't need to be, it didn't need to be, and boys and girls, your faith today doesn't need to be any bigger than a mustard seed. Faith in, in Christ. You can hardly see it, but it's there. But you see, our faith, the grace of salvation and faith grows. And it's the same with every grace. The fruit of the Spirit. That list in Galatians chapter 5. They're all Christian graces. Or go to Matthew. The uh, Beatitudes. Blessed are. And again they are graces. And they start small. And they are to grow. And if they're not growing. And if we're not growing in those graces. Then we would be concerned. 
That means we should have the concern principle with regard to our giving. Yes, it will start small, and we'll come back to that at the end. How small should it be, or how big should it be? But the point is, it should not be static. It should be growing. Which of us thinks of giving as a Christian grace? Yet that is precisely how Paul writes about giving to the Lord's work to the Corinthians. He doesn't talk to them about in terms of your responsibility or your duty or your privilege. And we do think of Christian giving in all of those terms. It is a duty. It is a responsibility. It is a privilege. But Paul says above all, it is a Christian grace. Now how does Paul show that? Well, the context here is that Paul is writing to Christians living in Corinth. That's southern Greece. They live in the wealthy south. Corinth was a prosperous city. And in verses 1 to 5, Paul tells these Christians and these churches in southern Greece about the financial giving of believers and churches in Macedonia. That's in northern Greece. Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica, those churches that were formed after the Macedonian call when Paul went over and began his second missionary journey in earnest uh, at Philippi. And he says, um, he, he, he tells them about, he, he tells the Corinthians about the giving of these churches. Now we probably wouldn't feel very comfortable about that. Sometimes we have a certain amount of discomfort about even printing in financial reports, the Presbury reports. Because people, we can be inclined to look at what others are doing and compare ourselves. And we can either pride ourselves or uh, whatever. And so we tend, but Paul does precisely that here. He compares the Christians in southern Greece to those in northern Greece in terms of their giving. And by comparison, these northern Christians and northern churches look at their situation. Verse 2. In a great trial of affliction, it literally is, or a most severe trial. And their extreme poverty. They are not well off. Indeed, they are poor. They're, we might say, scraping, barely scraping an existence. They're caught up in a great trial of affliction. And this may well directly tie in with their faith. Because they've become Christians. They have been 
isolated and ostracized by their own communities. Not just the Jews did that happen to who became Christians, but also to Gentiles. You're going to worship that Christ? We want to have nothing to do with you. And they lost jobs. And at stages they had property that if they had property it was taken from them for their faith. And so they are in great poverty. Things are very tough for these northern churches that Paul writes to the southern churches about. They're having to watch, we would say, every penny. They're having no doubt to go without certain things. But what did Paul witness? What did Paul witness? They overflowed with generosity. They held back nothing in their giving to the Lord's work. Look at what he says in verse 2. They welled up, it welled up in rich generosity. Literally it is, abounded in the riches of their liberality. There's two words there that speak of their giving. They abounded. Um, in fact, there are three words. Abounded and riches and then liberality. The word abounded is very significant in this passage. Chapter 8 and 9. And we're going to reach the end of chapter 9 by our fourth study. It occurs as a verb here in verse 2 and again in verse 7. In fact, here's a little homework you can do for next week. Go through chapter 8 and chapter 9 and you will need to have a Bible dictionary of some kind uh, or um, a concordance to do this, to get the words, but and find the word abounded and abundance. It occurs chapter 8, verse 2, verse 7. Uh, It occurs in chapter 9, verse 8, verse 12. And the noun appears in chapter 8, verse 2 and verse 14. Again and again, Paul's talking about abounding in giving. An abundance of giving. And that's why we take as our text, and we've taken as our text this morning, verse 7b, see that you abound in this grace also. This is a grace in which the Macedonian Christians, northern Greece, and the churches in northern Greece, they abounded in it. They excelled in it, even though they were extremely poor. And that was our purpose in reading Exodus chapter 35 this morning. Because here are the believers in the Old Testament, having come out of Egypt, having been led by the Lord into the wilderness, having been to Mount Sinai, and having heard, here is how you're to live as my people, the Lord now plans to give them a place of corporate united worship. And did you notice what had to happen? They had to say to the people, stop giving. 
stop giving. You see, they, ex- they abounded in this grace of giving. And when you think about it, um, they had many afflictions in the wilderness. Read Deuteronomy. Uh, and um, the clothes, they had only the one set of clothes it seems, or certainly a very small wardrobe in terms of clothes and shoes, because the Lord says in Deuteronomy, the clothes that you're wearing didn't wear out, nor did the shoes on your feet. And um, there were many challenges in the wilderness. They had some livestock with them, and they'd obviously been given things by the Egyptians, you remember that, when they'd left Egypt? But um, they were not um, in the sense that we would consider rich to be rich. Yet they abounded in this grace also. And then this word at the end of the verse, the word verse 2, the word liberality or generosity, as it is in the NIV. It literally is the word bounty. Bounty. Um, and again it occurs in chapter 9. And so, there's this abounding in the grace of giving. There's this huge generosity and liberality. Look at verse 3 and see what Paul says. For I bear witness that according to their ability, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. They're like the widow. Do you remember the widow? In the parable of the story that Jesus told. It wasn't a story. It was an actual real event. But that's recorded in the Gospels. And how the rich were putting in their coins. The scribes and the Pharisees. And they were making lots of noise. As they put in their large sums. And here's this woman. And she put in a little brass coin. You could hardly more than hear the tinkle. And Jesus said, she gave more. Because she gave of her ability and beyond. She had nothing left. It's very challenging, isn't it? The grace of Christian giving. And so, the Christians and churches of northern Greece... They abound in their commitment to Christ. Do you see that in verse 5? This all comes from their commitment to Christ. They gave themselves to the Lord first and then to us. That is to this appeal Paul had made an appeal because the Christians in Jerusalem were in great poverty at this stage. There had been a famine. There had also been persecution. And so Paul appealed to the Gentile churches to come to their aid. And Paul says here, these churches in northern Greece, they gave themselves to the Lord and then to us, to this appeal, by the will of God. And you see, that's where Christian giving, the grace of Christian giving flows from. It flows from 
a wholehearted giving of ourselves to Christ. Where we entrust everything and we see everything that we have, it's His. And when I give from it, He will bless what remains. But when I withhold what is His due, I will be the loser. Al Martin, and uh, remember somewhere in the past, hearing him saying about his father. Uh, after he became a Christian, his father began to tithe and then at a stage and give to the Lord's work. And his principle was starting out with a tithe. And we'll come back to that later. But he then told the story of how there was a month um, and he just thought, I can't afford to give all that this month. I've got this and this and this to do. And that happened at various stages. And Al Martin said that his father was able to look back and he was able to say that the months that he shortchanged the Lord, there were more outgoings, unexpected outgoings. The car broke down uh, or something else happened. And so he said his father learned very early on, you don't shortchange the Lord whatever else you go without or do without. And so these Christians, they've learned that. And so what is Paul's point to the Corinthians? Well, he's saying we've made an appeal to you. And he wants to see this grace abound in the Corinthians. Actually the appeal was made about a year before this. If you go back to 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 15, 16, 16 I think it is. Um, let me just check it here. Yes, 16 verse 1. He talks about the collection. It's about a year later now that he's going to come and take this collection. And actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 1, he said, I want you to lay aside on the Lord's day. And that's why, by the way, we believe it's, it's right and it's proper that the tithes and our offering is taken up in the worship service. The confession of faith says it is an act of worship. I've just been interested, interested recently to read a number of articles in the Presbyterian Herald that I get handed on to me by my prince. And the big push there is direct debits. Get people to sign up to direct debits and it just goes directly out of the bank. That might be good for managing church finances. And they're saying, you know, we know what our budget's going to be and this cuts down on book work and everything else. But it misses this principle. That the Lord's people in scripture always brought the tithe in to worship. It's an act of worship. That's part of the reason why we take the announcements out of worship. Because they're not part of worship. And actually when the announcements and the tithes come together, it often trivialises the tithes. Because people see it as an opportunity then to, to chat to their neighbour or whatever. But it's part of our worship. It's saying, Lord, as I give this to you, today I recognise you have given me everything. And you've given us everything that we have. So I'm hoping our church does not go down the road of what they call direct giving by direct debit.
and by our church I mean our denomination. So Paul wants to see this grace abound in the Corinthians and he wants to see it abound in me. And he wants to see it abound in you. And he wants to see it abound in us. And it's not about how much you have or how little you have. That's not the point. And it's not that I can look and say, well, somebody else has more, therefore they can give more. That's not the point. The point is, I am to excel in this grace as the Lord has blessed me and given to me. And you are to excel in this grace according to what the Lord has given you. Not what he's given your neighbour. Not what he's given somebody else. So whether we have little or much in material things, whether we're working or retired, whether we're young or old, that's why Jenny's 5P out of the 50p that I gave her, is as important to the Lord as the 50 pounds that somebody gave out of 500 pounds. It's giving. So what then, sorry, um, verse 7, let's just have a look at that for a moment because Paul, I think, has his tongue in his cheek here. He's speaking tongue-in-cheek at this point. But you remember the Corinthians? These Corinthians, they're a bit ambivalent to Paul at this stage. So he's actually been fairly bold to talk to them about giving in that context. But remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, they were people who had everything. We've all knowledge. We've all gifts. And uh, we've got great speech and great visions and great prophecies. And I believe Paul... Is tongue in cheek in verse 7. He's saying, You abound, notice the word abound again, and everything. You think, you know, we're the top brass when it comes to the churches because we've got faith and we've got speech and we've got knowledge and we've got diligence and we've got love. He says, Well, see that you abound in this grace also. Do you see what he's saying? It's not enough to work in all those other things. We need to work on this grace also. So what about tithing? That's a question I get asked from time to time. Should I tithe? Or should I not tithe? My answer is yes. And my answer is no. So work that one out. My answer is yes. Because it's the basic. It's the Old Testament standard. And it's clearly taught in the Old Testament. It's not, um, apart from one passage, mentioned in the New Testament. Jesus mentioned it when he was dealing with the scribes and the Pharisees. And he talked to them about their tithing of their mint and their cumin and even the very herbs in the garden. They were big tithers. So they were. They were the tithers of all time, even the very herds in their garden. Uh, but they neglected justice and mercy, and Christ said, You should have done the former, tithe 
without neglecting the latter. So Jesus did not do away with tithing. So, should we tithe? Yes, we should. Um, Why should we tithe? Well, because it's there in the Old Testament and because Jesus upheld it. Should we tithe? No. Not if you're going to say or if I'm going to say that's my responsibility finished when I've tithed. And you see, that's where many Christians today, that's the trap they fall into when they ask that question. Because in a sense, it's about if they were, to put it another way, they're really asking how little should I give? How little can I get away with giving? What is Paul saying? How much we ought to give. And I don't believe that we should hold to the tithe strictly or only. It should be much more. The tithe is where we start. It's like the seed of faith, the mustard seed. That's where we start as Christians. But then we add and we begin to give more. Now why do we do that? And what basis can I say that? Well, if you and I stick only to the Old Testament principle, we are denying a basic principle of the New Testament, which is this. Everything in the New Testament is much more. In the Old Testament they had access to God in prayer. But how much more we have access to God in the New Testament. In the Old Testament they had a place of worship. The temple that they were always to look to. But now in the New Testament we have a place of worship where two or three are gathered together. We have much more. In the Old Testament, we have the sign of the covenant, circumcision, given to the male child of the believer. In the New Testament, we have the much more. The sign of the covenant is given to you and your household. Acts 2.39 And so if, should we tithe? No. We've got to be abounding in this grace. A number of years ago I was challenged about this in my own life. And I I don't know, I think it was just my own reading. And then uh, I remember thinking of of a principle. And I suppose it may be part of my mentality that I like to, to have things in a structured way. But I thought to myself, I wish when I had started working... That I hadn't just begun to tithe, which I did do, but then that every year subsequent, I added 1%. 1%. So the tithe becomes 11. 11 becomes 12. And then I was speaking to someone after that, and I happened to mention this, the challenge of this to my, me and my own life. 
And they had been reading someone somewhere from the past. And that was exactly what they did. They started with the tithe. And then they began to abound in this grace also. This morning, if you haven't reached the point of tithing as a Christian, it is the minimum. If this morning you're stuck on the tithe for a year, two years, 20 years, Paul's saying to you this morning, Christ is saying to you this morning through Paul, see that you abound in this grace. Get beyond the tithe. Go home today and work out and start the 11%. Or whatever more you want to add. And add to it next year. And next year. And next year. But people sometimes say, there's not enough to go around then. Will there be enough to go around? The best example I can give is of a young man in Karats and his wife, young married couple, farm labourer. And we were talking about this. And they were challenged as they were thinking about membership, about the importance of giving to the Lord's Church, and they resolved to do this. And they've said to me several times, we have not lacked anything. And their fear was, would the rest stretch? But you see, you give to the Lord first. And then he makes the rest stretch. And he blesses us richly. And we'll come to that. We'll see that. Paul makes a lot of emphasis on that. The blessing that comes, that's going to be our final study. So, the grace of Christian giving. Excel or abound in this grace also. Amen. Let's pray. Our God and our Father in heaven, we acknowledge that you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. And we thank you for all your material blessings upon us. But above all, we thank you for the spiritual blessing that we have in Christ. And as Paul goes on in a couple of verses later to write how Christ gave everything in order to save us. Help us to abound in the grace of giving back to Christ. Worship and love and obedience and service and finance. Indeed, giving back from every department of our lives so that we are becoming more and more like him and that people will see Christ in us and learn of him through us. In Jesus' name, Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.